You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. So, one final service, one final time, would you make our guest speaker feel welcome this evening as Pastor Tim comes to share. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Well, we're back again, and I'm going to tell you, you answered my prayers, all right? Not just coming, but I prayed, and I said, Lord, would you only let the good-looking people come back? Keep the ugly people at home, and he answered, not the online, the online are good-looking too, but would you just keep the good-looking people here? And he answered my prayers. I'm so grateful for that. Um, Let me get my clock on my phone here. Got my face there. Okay. No, it's not working. There you go. Um, but just so you know, I put it on mountain time, so I have extra time. Um, I want to encourage, if you haven't yet, swung by our ministry table and grab one of our prayer cards. Uh, here's a picture of our family again. I just like to look at it. I know you get tired, but here they are, right? And I hope you'll pray for us. Um, you know, every, for May starts our 29th year. Is that right? On the road. That's really hard to imagine. And we... I was traveling a year before we were married. I mean, she didn't go with me, but a year after she kicked in with me, and things got a whole lot better then. But, um, but I hope you'll pray for us. And I want to show you just a, a real quick video clip. This is uh, one of my favorite moments in life is when we're ministering um, out in the middle of nowhere with people who have never heard the name Jesus before. And what you're going to see is about 400 leaders of three different tribes um, if you've ever heard of the Serengeti, um, it's about 100 miles where we're, the video is shot about 100 miles southwest of the Serengeti among the Datog, the Hadzabi, and the Sakuma tribes. And this is an area where there's been no water and the Datog are really mean. There had been nine murders in the week before. I was getting ready to dedicate a water project that we had done there. And a church plant was coming really quick and just wanted to make sure that everything we do in a humanitarian way is always tied into Jesus. I mean, it's great to meet the needs of people, but the reason why we meet the needs of people is because of Jesus. And so it's always associated with a church plant and stuff. And I asked them, how many of you have ever heard the name Jesus before to kind of begin? And none of them had ever heard the name Jesus before, except there was two Muslim clerics there. And the Muslims, of course, know Jesus as a you know, a prophet and whatever, but, um, but nobody else had ever even heard his name before. They're all practicing ancestral religions. And I want you to see what happened when I had the privilege of telling them who Jesus is. And the only way to find peace with God, peace inside, is to ask God to forgive us. If you would like peace inside, like we've been talking about, and you'd like me to pray with you to receive this peace inside, wave your hand at me. We will pray together. And as we pray, we are going to humble ourselves before the God who made heaven and earth. I think it's going to lose. And the only way to find. You get an idea of God taking all of us places outside of our comfort zone. Right? Have you ever discovered that your greatest effectiveness, your greatest anointing always lies outside of your comfort zone? 
Because if you only do the things you know you can accomplish, you'll only do you stuff. But if you take those steps of faith and allow God to call you out, um, and for his purposes, you'll see God do great and mighty things. And I hope you'll pray for us as, uh, you know, travel uh, stuff kind of kind of uh, corrects itself here. Hopefully, uh, how many are believing God for just major breakthrough with COVID and all that stuff? I hope you're praying about it. But uh, as all that stuff kind of, kind of lifts up, we're just believing God as we have to not only... Uh, do our normal travel schedule overseas, but we got to make up for stuff because we have flights that were purchased that now there's credit only till the beginning of 2022 or whatever it is. And I hope that you'll just be in prayer with us. You know, pray for us for dumb stuff. Like, like this is stupid, but when we're in the U.S. and North America and Canada and stuff like that, we travel in our RV, which looks great and it's been a great blessing, but it's amazing something runs that good for being 15 years old, you know? But pray for us because it's just dumb, but like mechanical stuff can, I mean, we're fine. Don't, I'm not, but, but pray for us that, that God allows our shoes not to wear out in the wilderness like the Egyptians did, you know. And, um, and he, he just makes a way for us. I hope you'll pray for us. We really, really do covet your prayers. And if you're interested, um, this is going to be your last opportunity in this brief conference to grab ministry materials back there if they interest you. We try to never make a big deal because it's super easy to be misunderstood about them. But they will help you to grow. You know, when you find God stirring your heart with interests and in areas, if you'll really dig deep, he rewards those who diligently seek him, pursue him in those ways, and there'll be resources for you there. Um, there's there's a, a book back there we have that uh, did a few years ago called Want More, and it's specifically on our topic tonight, baptism in the spirit. And maybe you come from a church background where this was not taught about or maybe even taught against. This is a good spot. Um, a lot of churches use this in small groups, but this is a, a good, good spot for people to just be walked through the scriptures about baptism in the spirit. And we have our kids book back there too. I'm trying to find, if you're someone that says, I want to become more effective in praying for others to be baptized in the spirit, we have this book called Helping Others Receive the Gift. It's all about leading others in the baptism in the spirit. A great resource. We have an audio series back there, a couple discs on Spirit baptism in tongues answers a lot of questions people have about this. Um, if you want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in a greater way, this series, Developing Relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's a couple discs in here too. The first disc is on hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. The second is on developing friendship and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you're too cool for physical media and you go, you know what, that's just like, and I threw my eight-track player out years ago. We have um, all the digitization done for you. So it's the Holy Spirit Digital Teaching Library. It's all of the teachings you see on the rack back there. So there's 22 audios, and then there's four videos that we did for the Assemblies of God in small group format that are on a little flip-out USB drive. It's like 25 hours of teaching from A to Z on the Holy Spirit. And even as the series back there, the people always go, what does this have to do with anything? It's our series that will help you in your relationship with your mother-in-law called Freedom from Manipulation. And it's a, a helpful one for real. Um, in, it, a lot of people... They live under the power of manipulation in their life and don't understand why or how. And um, you know, manipulation is talked about in nearly every book of the Bible, but not by name. But the principle is there, and we see how God interacts and how you can really be free from those things. So, um, so take advantage of those things. They'll, they're back there. All those proceeds uh, go to help us uh, uh, keep on going. So if that interests you, take advantage of it. All right, and also if you're like, I'm just totally broke and I want stuff, if you go to our website... I mean, because that happens sometimes, right? We have always made, our website is loaded with free resources, audio, video, print stuff. You can download 
all kinds of stuff. Just go to the, I forget what it's called. Is it called resources, the tab on there? Anyway, go to our website. It's on the prayer card. And you can, even we got all kinds of foreign language stuff on there. If you speak, you know, Czech or Romulan or whatever, we got it all on there. So take advantage of that. All right, let's talk for a few minutes about the Holy Spirit. So how many of you are here this morning? Okay, vast majority of, if you weren't, you can watch the teaching and get background, so we're going to skip that slide similar to that. But let me start out by asking you a question, all right? Um, what is it that sets your status spiritually? What is the status-setting event in a Christian's life? What is it that takes you from being lost into being a family, member of the family of God? What is that called? Salvation, right? There are five terms for salvation in the Bible. There's saved and salvation. Jesus and Paul and Peter and James use those. Then there is born again and born of the Spirit. Only Jesus uses those terms in John 3. Really great. They're kind of metaphors. You've got to be born again and born of the Spirit. He's trying to show there's a difference that takes place. And then the final one is regeneration. It's only used by Paul in his letter to Titus. Remember, Paul wrote letters to churches and to individuals, and Titus was a letter to an individual. He uses that word regenerate, and that word's really cool. So it's the prefix again, re, and then the root word is the Greek label for the book Genesis. So like new beginning or an again beginning. So it's all the same stuff. Those five labels all mean the same thing. And just to be clear, salvation is the most important thing. It's up with the highest tier of biblical doctrine, like the top tier, the non-negotiables, you know, are, you know, the Bible is God's word, God's eternal, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity, salvation. Those are like most important things, right? Then we have other layers of doctrine underneath that that aren't as important as those things. Um, but are important. Our subject tonight, spirit baptism, would be among the second tier of important things. Like, I would never argue with somebody over this, but the Bible's really clear. We'll see. But I, you know, I would, you know, I put my head on the block for Jesus is the Son of God, you know, but I wouldn't for what you say when you dunk somebody in water or something. You know what I'm saying? You know, but this, this is among the second tier of important things. Now, having said that, don't go, oh, that's not important. It is once you've experienced the first tier of important Christian doctrine, right? So our, having said that, now, second question is, are you interested in a deeper experience with the Holy Spirit and more spiritual power in your life? I hope the answer to that question is always, as long as you live, yes, right? Because God always has more for us. He's always taking us into deeper places and deeper encounters. Not that we're like loony people that we can't select a breakfast cereal without an angel telling us what to do. You know, there's some people that are just kooky like that, and they're like, sit down at the breakfast table, they open up the cabinet of cereal, and they go, oh, Lord, only thou knowest my innermost parts. Shall it be lucky charms? Or, Lord, only thou knowest, shall it be all brand? Oh, Lord, let it levitate and pour into my bowl. We're not talking about weirdness like that. Because how many know God gives us wisdom in his word to navigate the things in life too, but he also wants us to encounter him and to be transformed and empowered by him, and we thank God for that. So having thought about those questions, we want to dive in and read a couple scripture verses together. The first part we're going to read is the promise Jesus made to his followers. How many of you are a follower of Jesus? You've experienced salvation, right? So he made this promise to people like you and I who had already been fully saved 
Jesus had, at the moment of this promise, he had already died and risen again from the dead. He appeared over 40 days to over 500 witnesses, convincing them he was alive. And this was when he made this promise to them. The Holy Spirit's already living in you, inside. Remember, the chocolate inside the donut? But now I'm going to dunk or baptize your donut in the Holy Spirit, right? And he made this promise to them, and then he ascended to heaven. And then the second part we're going to read is the first time that Jesus dunked them, drenched them in the Holy Spirit. So would you stand up with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? And that's just one of the influences of Philbin Journal in my life. you got to stand when you read the Word in honor. But let's read together. The first part is the promise. The second part is the first fulfillment. You ready? Let's read together. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Stop there just for a second. Look at that scripture. He's telling them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word upon or falls upon is a Greek word that's really cool. You don't have to understand Greek to understand the Bible, but it's the word epipipto. Doesn't that sound like stomach medicine, yeah. you know? So it's the prefix epi, like your epidermis, your outermost layer, and pipto is to fall when the Holy Spirit falls outwardly upon you. You already have the Holy Spirit living inside of you when you're saved. John 20, he breathed on them. The Holy Spirit came in at that moment when they put their faith in the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ. But now he says, you're going to receive more power, more ability, greater increase when the Holy Spirit falls outwardly upon you. So this is an after salvation empowering. And then you're going to be my witnesses. We hear that word witness, and we think about door knocking and passing out tracts. While certainly that could have been included in this word, this is a lot bigger. You're going to be my messengers, my mouthpieces, and everywhere, God's going to take you out of your comfort zone, Jerusalem, where we're at right now, where the promise was given, Judea, that's the province, so it's like saying in Fogelsville, Lehigh, whatever, and then Pennsylvania, and then Samaria is the next province over with the people you don't like, which is probably... Berks County. Berks County, come on. I was thinking Jersey. All right, so, okay, so, and then... And then it's awful because I got all kinds of family in Jersey. And then the ends of the earth, which would certainly be West Virginia, right? So, so you kind of got, but do you see what's going on? He's making a promise. The Holy Spirit's already inside, but now I'm going to dunk you in that same Holy Spirit on the outside with outward effect. Remember that this morning from the donut metaphor? And God's going to make your life have bigger impact than it could ever have without that. Really cool. Now let's read together the promise, or the, the promise fulfillment now on the day of Pentecost. Here we go. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire 
appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, we're going to stop our reading there, but this is honestly is just barely crossing the threshold of what it means to be baptized in the Spirit. There's always more what God has for us. Jesus, thank you for your generosity in pouring out your Spirit to live inside of every believer from the moment of salvation and then also dunking us, drenching us in your Holy Spirit outwardly for outward ministry. Lord, we want our lives to do more than just kind of spin the wheel and, until heaven comes. We want to be used by you for your glory. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done in our family and in our neighborhoods and in our workplace. And God, we want to be a component, a part of what you're doing in the earth. So Lord, we invite you tonight to stretch us Take us out of our comfort zones so that we can see your supernatural glory work in and through our lives. We welcome you, Jesus, to not only reveal yourself as Savior, of course, most importantly, and then as healer and deliverer, etc. But Lord, would you reveal yourself to us tonight as our baptizer in the Holy Spirit? We welcome you in that way, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you like. So when, when we look at the term baptism in the Holy Spirit, remember, biblically, it's not baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's in. So this is really important. When it shares a term baptism, when you think of baptism, you think right away of water baptism, right? Okay. So there are similarities in spirit baptism and water baptism. So the, similar, the main similarity is the you, the person that's getting dunked, is a Christian. So when you get baptized in water, um, and Pastor, do you guys have water baptism on the schedule in the future? This summer. this summer. So if you've not yet been baptized in water, get in the posture right ahead. I mean, don't get your swimsuit on yet, but, but um, <laughs> make sure you obey. We'll talk more about that in a moment. That's obey the command of Jesus. The you is a Christian. The reason why, like this morning, we dedicated a child to the Lord was because um, there are some churches that baptize or christen infants, and, and there is some rationale behind that. But biblically, the reason why we dedicate and don't baptize infants is after Jesus rose from the dead, the only people that the Christian church baptized in the Bible were people after they had made their own decision to serve the Lord. So that's why we don't think that it's sinful, but it just doesn't reach its fullest, uh, most current meaning. And so instead, we follow like what Jesus experienced. His parents presented him at the temple, or Samuel was dedicated to the Lord. And so we kind of follow that thing. And if you were baptized as a child, but since you made the decision to not serve Je or to serve Jesus, you have not yet been baptized after your conversion. I would challenge you to get an updated baptism experience, and that way you could be in the most up-to-date uh, spiritual obedience in that way. So the you is a Christian that gets dunked in water. What are you getting dunked in? I just gave it away. Water, all right? And what does it mean? What are some of the things water baptism means? Yeah, cleansing is the overwhelming, overriding metaphor there, like the old hymn, Splish, Splash, I Was Taking a Bath. What are some of the other? Yeah. Death, burial, and resurrection. You are identifying with Jesus. Remember, and this is really important, and this makes people weirded out when you say it, the cross is not enough to save anybody. Thousands of people have been crucified in world history. 
But the crucifixion of Jesus is different because it's followed by his resurrection, right? So lots of good people have died for righteous causes. Jesus fits in that category, but then he went above and beyond and he rose again from the dead. So when you go under the waters, you are identifying with being buried and being raised to new life. It's identification. Really, all of Christian life is about identity, understanding more and more your identity in Christ. But then... Also, you have the idea of obedience. Jesus commanded us to be baptized in water. So then baptism in the Holy Spirit shares the same thing. The you, the person being baptized, is a Christian. It's an after-salvation experience. And so the you is a Christian. What are you being dunked in? What do you think? The Holy Spirit. Now, not just the Holy Spirit's power, that's a part of it, but the Holy Spirit himself. He already lives inside of you, but it's a fresh immersion in the Holy Spirit and his power. So there's a personal aspect. It's, it's not just functional. It's also warm and personal. So the Holy Spirit himself. And who dunks you? When you get baptized in water, who dunks you? When you get baptized in water, it's just another believer. Sorry, I phrase that question weird. When you get baptized in water, it's another believer, often a leader or a pastor. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, who is dunking you? Jesus. That's a huge difference. If I'm praying with you when you get baptized in the Spirit, I have not baptized you in the Spirit. Pastor has not. George has not, whatever. But only Jesus can. And so when you get baptized in the Holy, or baptized in water, rather, if it's done properly, you get wet. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you get power for ministry. So there's kind of some differences. So here's a definition on spirit baptism. Spirit baptism is the prophesied empowering of the Holy Spirit. So it's prophesied first. Like we all know the book of Acts is all about spirit baptism. It's actually the central theme. The book of Acts happens in five cycles with groups of people or individual getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and then tremendous ministry supernaturally increasing them, taking them out of their comfort zone, being used by God. But that cycle happens five times in the book of Acts, culminating with the Acts 19 uh, baptism in the spirit of the uh, elders in Ephesus, which is the biggest revival in the Bible, in the New Testament, I should say. And uh, so we see that happening there. But it may surprise you to know that spirit baptism isn't first prophesied in the Gospels, although it's there in every Gospel. It isn't first prophesied by Jesus, although we read in Acts 1, he prophesies that. It's not first prophesied by Joel 2, even we know that Joel 2.20 and following the big... It's first prophesied by Moses in the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, that God would want to pour out his spirit. It's hit by all the major prophets from Moses to Jesus, who's a prophet, but he's prophet par excellence and also priest and also king and also Messiah and son of God and God himself, right? So, so it's a, it, a lot of prophetic scripture on that. It's given to followers of Jesus. So this is not salvation. If you've not yet given your life to Christ, this honestly right now has no importance for you until you experience the salvation that Christ can give. But once you've been born again, once you've been saved, this promise becomes very important if you want to fulfill the will of God in your life because the will of God for you cannot be completed, cannot be fulfilled by your present skill set. It requires divine supernatural assistance that baptism in the Spirit gives. So it's for the specific purpose of increased inward closeness. That doesn't mean that if you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet, you're not close to the Lord. 
that actually speaks of the biblical displayed journey that people go on to be baptized in the Spirit. The only way to be baptized in the Spirit is to draw nearer and nearer and nearer to Jesus because He's the only one that can baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's not like a judgment like, in our church, we got the people that are baptized in the Spirit, they sit in the preferred seats with memory foam and shiatsu massage. They have preferred parking up here in the front, you know, and everybody else has to walk from the gully and, you know, all this. And the people that are baptized in the Spirit, they get, you know, discount on their tithe. It's not like that. It's not like that. Um, there's, how many know there's only two spiritual statuses, saved or lost? There's no degrees of salvation. Really important to remember because sometimes... Unfortunately, people have misrepresented this and other things spiritually is going, well, this is for the secret few and all this. That's baloney. It's not true. Salvation is the most important thing, but after you're saved, God wants you to grow and become more and more transformed and more and more effective, and that's done through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The way you get there is increased closeness to Jesus. The closer you get to him, the more you experience things from heaven, And but the real uh, effect of this is outward power to help or to minister to other people. Some people trip up on that word minister because they think of the vocation minister, you know. But listen to this. Every Christian, how many of you are Christians? Okay. Glad Pastor raised his hand. Every Christian is called by God into the full-time ministry. So lean over to your neighbor and say, good evening. Go ahead. Good evening. Reverend, okay? Now, what I mean by that is a lot of people only view ministry as vocation, which it certainly can be. God puts its hand on some people and goes, hey, I want your whole bag to be just ministry in life. This is, this is what you're built for. But the rest of us, God goes, hey, I've, I've got a place for you in society. You're going to do a job. You're going to, you know, you're going to be a, a, whether it be, you know, stay-at-home dad or mom or homemaker or whether you're going to be a teacher or a nurse or you're going to be, you know, whatever it is. And he, he brings us into vocation. Sometimes those change in life. But he does that so that the kingdom of God is within arm's reach of everybody on planet Earth. The reason why you're at your place right now, you live where you live, and we're, because God wants you to be light and salt there. But the reason why we don't is because we're afraid. Spirit baptism is all about giving us increased power and bravery to do more for the Lord. And let me just throw a side note in. A lot of people hate where they're at. Well, I hate my house. I hate my neighborhood. I hate my job. You know, and I wonder sometimes if we would turn things around and say instead, Lord, what do you have me here to do? Who do you want me to speak to? Maybe if we'd get obedient, then maybe, you know, he'd move us out of there and get us in a, another spot. Not and And really... Wherever God wants you to be is the best place in the whole world to be. And when we don't perceive it and we judge ourselves by external, uh, you know, things rather than the Word of God, then things get kind of yucky in life. Okay, beyond this definition, let me give you three more defining points, and then we're going to go to a season of prayer. And we've been praying and believing God tonight that everybody that wants to receive this gift will receive tonight. Uh, it's no big deal at, on one level because Jesus wants to and you want him to. You just have to spend some time in his presence and lower your guard and allow yourself to trust in him, and he'll make this very, very easy. Um, no one's going to, just so you know, we don't believe in any shenanigans. Nobody's going to put a colander on your head with jumper cables tied to the generator or anything like that. I mean, nobody's going to tase you. Nobody's going to push you. Nobody's going to spit and scream at you. How many know we don't need those kind of antics? We need Jesus. 
right? So I just promise you, and I, I know this is a great, solid church, but I just want you to know, because some people are afraid or they saw something on YouTube where they, you know, the pastor's like Sith Lord shocking somebody and they're levitating, smoke coming out of their ears. It's not the way this is. This is the same Holy Spirit who's lived inside of you since you've been saved. So you know him, right? He's going to fall upon you as Jesus pours him out in response to your prayer. And God is going to increase and elevate spiritual power and spiritual bravery inside of you. And it's going to be a life encounter with the Holy Spirit that's going to most likely outside of salvation be one of the greatest things that ever happens to you spiritually. So I'm so excited whether you're the youngest child or the eldest senior, God's got it for you. People go, well, I'm not so sure. I'm kind of quiet. It's okay. People receive quietly. No big deal. You don't have to do cartwheels and scream, you know. Um, but God has something for us tonight, no matter how it's manifested, whether it's loud and calisthenic or whether it's quiet and, and, and inward. Jesus will baptize you in the spirit, same product, no matter how it's outwardly manifested. Same voltage level. Really cool, right? Because some of the Pennsylvania Dutch people are like, I'm just chill. This is as excited as I get right here. I mean, inside the fireworks are blowing up, but I'm not letting anybody know. I always say Pennsylvania Dutch people know how to hold their spiritual liquor, you know, and they you know, keep the, the lid welded on. That's cool, all right? Because a lot, seriously, a lot of people go, well, I can't do that because I, you know, because every church has some of those people that are like, you know, the moment worship is starting, they're already stretching, getting ready, you know, <laughs> and, um, and some people are like, I just can't see myself. It, don't worry about the outward, uh, you know, effect of it. Let God do the work in your heart, all right? Really important. Okay, so first of all, spirit baptism is biblical. This is not some weird doctrine of C3 church alone. This is not just a weird doctrine of just a handful of, you know, sect churches or Pentecostal charismatics only. It may surprise you to know that of the 800 million evangelical Christians, so that number doesn't count the 1.2 billion Catholics in the world, of which at least half, they estimate, are born again and many spirit-filled as well. How I many know there are oodles of born-again Catholics, right? Oodles of them. And many of them actually in leadership too. But of that one, or the 800 million non-Catholic evangelical, evangelical means it's not a political party like the news tells you. It's not a voting block. How many know that to be true? Our citizenship's in heaven. Evangelical simply means we believe you must be born again to go to heaven. That's what evangel, evangel gospel, okay? So uh, that, that of, of the 800 million evangelicals in the world, 660 million would align themselves being Pentecostal or charismatic. It used to not be that way. Used to be the other way around. The smallest number were Pentecostal or charismatic. This is the mainstream of what God is doing in the world today. So you get an idea of kind of where we're at. This is, but not only is it popular in that way, because how many know not everything popular is from God, right? And so, um, you know, think of bell bottoms and other things like that, uh, beanie babies. There's lots of stuff, right? But it's biblical. So look at this next one. I want you to see. Um, our biblical framework, the term baptize in or with, it's the Greek preposition N, E-N, that's how you transliterate it, is used six times in the Gospels and Acts. Remember, it's not baptism of the Holy Spirit. That would insinuate the Holy Spirit is doing something. No, baptism in the Spirit is something Jesus is doing. And matter of fact, if you think about it, it's as Jesus-focused or Christocentric as you can get. You are praying to Jesus 
to baptize and drench you in his Holy Spirit so you have power to do the ministry that Jesus has for you. So a lot of people are like, I'm not sure about giving all this attention to the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit just points us right back to Jesus, but in a greater way than we were before. So you'll notice the first four are the Gospels. It's in the prologue of every Gospel, baptism in the Holy Spirit is prophesied. John says, I dunk you in water. One is coming after me who's greater than me. He's going to dunk you in the Holy Spirit. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first three chapters, that prophecy is given. And then we read it, Acts 1.5, Jesus says, right before he ascends to heaven, look, you put your faith in me. I've risen from the dead. You're born again. I breathe my spirit to live inside of you, John 20. But I've not baptized any of you in the Holy Spirit yet. The reason why that's important is a lot of people think the term baptism in the Spirit is the sixth synonym for salvation. Remember, save, salvation, born again, born of the Spirit, regenerate. A lot of people think baptism in the Holy Spirit is number six, but Jesus, all the Gospels, the apostles say, nope, it's an after salvation empowering. And how many trust Jesus and the apostles over a popular Christian book, right? And so um, Jesus says in Acts 1.5, I've not baptized any of you believers in the Holy Spirit yet, but I'm going to put it in park and stay in the city. It surprises a lot of people to know this. How many believe that Jesus commanded us to be baptized in water? Did you know the same amount of times he commanded us as believers to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? It shocks a lot of people. Then Acts 11:16. 16, I love this portion. Peter looks back at 12 years earlier, Jesus baptized us in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit fell upon us. There was that supernatural confirming sign of supernatural prayer that happened. Hey, and it just happened now with a bunch of Italians. You know, God loves Italians, right? In Caesarea by the sea, right? And Cornelius in his house. And he goes, when that happens, that is when Jesus baptizes someone in the Holy Spirit. That Acts eleven sixteen goes, it's not number six of terminology for salvation. It's entirely different and even greater clarity. Okay, then look at the next one. The book of Acts, like I mentioned, happens in five cycles of spirit baptism, either people or an individual being baptized in the spirit, and then supernatural ministry flowing out of their lives. How many want supernatural ministry to flow out of your life, right? And so that's what this is all about. You can see them there, the Jews on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. Um, Acts 8, the Samaritans with Philip. And then Peter and John, after the great revival there, um, Saul of Tarsus, uh, also known as the Apostle Paul. And just so you know, I, I always try to, to throw this in here. A lot of people misunderstand, and they think after Saul's conversion, he ran down to the courthouse in Damascus and changed his name to Paul the Apostle from Saul of Tarsus. Saul is the Hebrew way you would pronounce his name. Remember, Saul, the Benjamite king, the first king of Israel, and, and Saul was a uh, of Tarsus was a, was a Benjamite as well, named after one of his great ancestors. But Paul is the Greek way you would pronounce his name. So it's just, it's not like he changed his name. He just was around people that say the name differently. And he, of course, was the apostle to the Gentiles. So um, that's why he would be known as that. Then Acts 10, Cornelius, the Italians and others. And then Ephesians, the biggest revival in the New Testament, shook the province of Asia Minor. Amazing stuff. You can read about that. Acts 18, it starts. Acts 19 is when it's described. Paul's longest pastorate in Ephesus, three years. Um, biggest revival in the New Testament. Nine New Testament books were written about Ephesus, 
to Ephesus or from Ephesus. It's a big deal. The second most significant church in the entire world in the first century, Jerusalem and then Ephesus. So this was a big, big, big deal. And if, if you and I knew more of the background of it, we'd go, oh, that's the epicenter of Christianity flowing around the world happened from Ephesus. So kind of a big deal. All right. Secondly, spirit baptism is important. It's not like, well, you can have your Christianity with or without heated seats, with or without a sunroof. Oh, you want Corian or Formica, you know? Like we often kind of view this as going, well, you know, like we often view our pursuit of the Lord of, hmm, what can I see myself doing? Which is a really yucky starting point. Because remember, Christianity is, and discipleship is all about ever increasingly more understanding our identity in Christ. So if we judge our salvation by, and what God wants to do, what can I see myself in? We're starting at the wrong point because the old man dies when we're saved. You've been crucified with Christ and no longer live. So that means your opinion, my opinion in this matter is unimportant because you're dead. But yet I live, Paul says. So the life I now live how many are still alive even though you're dead, right? The life you're now living, you live through the faith in the Son of God who loved himself and gave himself for you. And so, you know, this is like, if you want to fulfill the will of God, Jesus commanded us to be baptized in the Spirit. Actually, it's not optional. It's important for us. Let me show you something. So this next one asks a question. If you were led to the Lord by one of the original apostles, what would they do with you right away? You know the term discipleship, right? So it's, that means from the moment you're saved until you see Jesus or die, your growth pattern in becoming less like you and more like Jesus. I hope that's your prayer. That's, that process is called discipleship. It never ends. It's not just going to the one church class so you can become a member and then you're, you're in the badge and you're cool. It's always, all the days of my life, I want to grow less like me and more like Jesus. And I know that's your prayer because you came on a Sunday night when you didn't have to, right? I mean, seriously, it's saying, I want to grow. I want to experience. So if you were led to the Lord by one of the original apostles, what would they do with you? What would the first steps of Christian discipleship be for you? What does the Bible show are the first steps? Like, we have all kinds of ideas. Well, you get one of the books and, you know, discipleship book, and you, of course, need a church coffee mug. How many know that's important? And a T-shirt, and then you, you know, what, what did the Bible show? Because how many think the Bible probably got it right, you know? Look at the next one. You'll see water baptism and spirit baptism are biblically the first steps of Christian discipleship. Now, don't misunderstand the one and the two there. It's not to show order or chronology. It's there just to show there are two things. This is what the apostles prioritized. When they led someone to the Lord, they got them as quickly as they can, baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. In fact, many of the people baptized in the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts didn't really know what they were getting themselves into. And that's okay, too. Maybe some of you had that experience, like, what in the world happened? Pastor, what happened to me? I was praying, and I felt God's presence, and all of a sudden, I'm speaking Romulan. What happened to me? You know, and, and Pastor, oh, yeah, let me show you in the Bible. That happens all the time, honestly. But water baptism and spirit baptism. Look at this. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is a really cool and convicting verse. And I can't say this in every church, but I know the ethos of your church and of your leadership. You know, there are a lot of churches that believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, but they hide it from new converts because they don't want to weird them out. How many know you don't have to be weird about the Holy Spirit? And that fixes that problem right away because the Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird. Check out your neighbor, all right? 
But a lot of people go, well, we're just going to hold that. This is going to be like once you serve the Lord for like 40, 50 years, you've been through everything, you kind of learn the secret handshakes, then you can be baptized in the Spirit. But it's not presented that way in the Bible. Um, water baptism and spirit baptism. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter is preaching to lost people. And he says this, y'all need to be saved. Then after you're saved, you need to be baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. He taught that to lost people. Once you're in, God still has some stuff for you to do. Now, how many know water baptism, spirit baptism does not save us, but it's an after salvation experience. A lot of times I hear people go, well, I was kind of baptized in the spirit and prayed in tongues before I was saved. But what, when you really dig in and talk about it, um, they were actually born again, but didn't really fully understand what had happened. They'd already said, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me on some level. But they associate their salvation with a formal prayer they prayed with someone afterwards. How many know it's actually really easy to get saved? You know, just Jesus, I believe. Thief in the cross, remember me, you know. And, uh, and so a lot of times people are looking to kind of formalize it. They, oh, that time I raised my hand, walked the aisle, repeated the prayer, got the book. That's when I was saved. And it very well could have been that out of your heart you'd express faith in the Lord beforehand because it's impossible to be baptized in the Holy Spirit without being saved according to the Bible. So that's kind of interesting too. So Acts 8, that's in Samaria. The people were saved. Then second, baptized in water. Third, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts 9 is Saul of Tarsus. He was saved. And then second, baptized in the Spirit when Ananias laid hands upon him. Third, baptized in water. That same, uh, go back one if you would, please. That same reverse order um, there in Acts 10, 45 through 47 with the Italians. You read that one? House of Cornelius, they were saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was like seamless, almost felt like one thing. And, and some of you have experienced that. What in the world happened to me? It's like God supersized your order right out of the gate. And then third, they were baptized in water. And then methodically, Acts 19, they were saved in Acts 18 under the ministry of Apollos. They were baptized in water and then baptized in the Holy Spirit, just Paul systematically walking them through. His literal question was to them in Acts 19.6, or 19.1, since you've been saved, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet? And they go, we haven't heard there's a Holy Spirit. He goes, wait a minute, how are you baptized? Oh, John the Baptist baptism. Oh, that's obsolete. That's water baptism version 1.0, looking forward to the Messiah. We already know who he is. He told us to baptize now in a new complete way in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So you would have heard there was a Holy Spirit before you got dunked with that one. So let's update your water baptism. Okay, cool. Now let's get you baptized in the Spirit. And then from there, the revival kicked in. Now, this next one shows how long the people had been serving the Lord before they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because honestly, you think about like, you know, deeper levels of spiritual power has to come through maturity and classes. And, you know, you move from 10% tithe to 15% tithe. And, you know, you learn all the hymns and you can separate the apostles from the epistles, you know, and all this stuff. But that's not what the Bible shows us. Notice Acts chapter 2. The people that were baptized in the Spirit on the day of Pentecost were the longest tenured, most mature believers. Do you notice anything similar about the bottom four? Brand spanking new converts. Now, this is really cool because maybe some of you just recently really devoted your life to Christ. And you're like, this is the first time I've heard about this. And, I, you know, I don't know. Listen, Jesus wants to, as early as possible in your Christian life, immerse you, drench you in the Holy Spirit. So you live the whole tenure of your Christian life empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
So you can accomplish more for the Lord. And some of you go, wait a minute, you know, I'm 117 years old and, you know, I'm feeling it's coming towards the end. This is the first I've heard about this. And you might be filled with all kinds of regret and all kinds of, oh, bummer. Listen, why not allow God to make your days as fruitful as they can be? So this is, and then here, another dimension on this is people go, well, you know, one day when I get my act together, then I'll be ready to be baptized in the Spirit. That is your own thinking processes, because Jesus says when you're born again, you're ready. So we always go, well, you know, like, no joke. I hear this one all the time. People come up to me kind of on the down low and go, hey, would you pray for me? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. No, 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 not now, but just in the future, because I'm not ready yet. I know I need to quit smoking first. You know, I actually had this conversation with your pastor right before service. And, um, no, it's decent. And, uh, but, um, you know, like, because don't you think there's like some stuff in the way, you know, well, I need to, you know, that's your own conjecture. Jesus sees things very differently. In fact, a believer that's struggling in some way, you need spirit baptism even more urgently. And people always go, well, I'm so unworthy. Well, yeah, without Jesus, Right. Haven't you noticed that in every transaction with God, only Jesus is qualified to supply the commodity of worthiness, right? So you're always, yeah, without Jesus, of course, we're totally unworthy. If we got what we deserve, we'd all be frying in hell right now, right? I mean, for real. But Jesus has supplied worthiness. He's supplied righteousness. Oh, I don't feel righteous. Well, because you're not without Jesus and you're used to feeling like you. But when you're saved, you get his righteousness upon you. So this is, you know, you feel their sin, repent, and then step into spirit baptism. Okay, finally, spirit baptism is functional. Now, this one's really important uh, because a lot of people make the mistake because the Bible associates the phenomena of praying in a supernatural language, also called speaking or praying in tongues, as the sign confirming people have been baptized in the Spirit. Where we get this is actually the book of Acts. The only sign that repeatedly happens when people are baptized in the Spirit is they begin to speak or pray in tongues. Now, a lot of people, because of that, they go, well, you know, I was all cool on the power, I was all cool on the encounter, but that's just weird. You know, you're praying, your eyes roll back in your head, and you drool on yourself, and you wake up in two weeks in the drainage ditch in front of the church with a bean can on your head, and the paramedics are there going, you know. It's not that way at all. You're not out of body. You're not, you know, in some kind of a high or dulled to the world around. I'm serious, because a lot of people think that when the Spirit of God comes upon you that you just, you know, pass out or whatever. But that's actually, it is possible, I suppose. The Bible calls the, hey, I'm not aware of anything else around me because the Holy Spirit's upon me. The Bible calls that a trance, and that's actually a very rare spiritual experience that not everyone will have, and if you have it, it doesn't make you any better than others. Um, it might just mean God needs to conk you out to speak to you because you're too bullheaded. I don't know. Uh, who knows? It's up to him, but there are some usuals, some typicals that God has for us, and there are some unusuals, and we pursue the usuals because we know that's what God has for all of us. Um, even when people are just like, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever seen it before or experienced it, sometimes when God's presence moves upon people, they just feel weak and they you know, like sit down or collapse to the floor kind of a thing. It's not because they're having a medical issue and that may or may not happen to something, I, I don't know. But um, that, that sort of a thing is, is not really, the actual event itself is not really important. It just speaks of, well, like, have you ever in your kitchen, you've been making Thanksgiving and you got a lot going on, you got your electric oven on, you got your toaster oven on, you put your blender on and you put some 
uh, it, something else, some other heater appliance, or your big KitchenAid thing looks like upside down R2D2, you get that going. And what happens? You trip a breaker. Why? Because the circuitry can't handle the voltage that the demand is put there. That's why people respond. They cry, they laugh, they fall down, they jump, they whatever, because they're not used to that kind of a voltage. And when your breakers reset, everything's cool. But even in those moments, you're still aware of people around you, most likely, unless you're in that exotic experience of a trance. Very rare. But most often, you're aware. Even if you've fallen on the ground, you're crying and speaking in tongues. You're aware of God. You're aware, more aware of him than normal, and most likely more aware of the needs of people around you than you were before. So we're not looking to go into some, you know, Pink Floyd moment where we're spinning around the cosmos seeing Jesus and Elvis playing cards and whatever, you know. We're, we're looking not to get out of ourself, out of control. We're looking to become more like Jesus in every way. And there are, I'm just going to be honest, there are some people that play the game. And I, we can talk about them because they're probably not here. Um, but... They want to come up every time, and they want to get knocked over, and they want to roll around on the floor, and they want to, you know, make so people can look at them and go, look how spiritual they are, and they're just playing games. And so we don't ever want to do that, right? We want to have authentic experiences with God. And sometimes it looks like that, and when it doesn't, that's okay too. Like, for example, how many of you have ever sensed the presence of God so strong inside of you, you didn't want to move a muscle because you were going to ruin it? You know what I'm talking about? Like, a lot of times I experience that kind of a thing when taking communion, not all the time, but it's like, there's such a holiness here, and this is such an important thing. I just, you know, I don't want to mess this moment up. And yet, from the outside, you just look like everybody else standing there, but the inside, man, it's kaboom, the rockets are blowing up inside, you know? You know what I'm talking about? So we never judge the authenticity of what's happening by the outward expression of things. Really important, you know? And that, that keeps us, too, from beginning to kind of play games with that stuff, because that's so yucky. But it's functional. So a lot of people, because tongues is associated with the baptism in the Spirit, they go, oh, wait a minute, therefore, tongues is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So they go, Spirit baptism is this big, this size. Speaking in tongues is this big, this size. And they superimpose on each other and cover each other like an eclipse. It's the same thing. Not true. Spirit baptism is the size of Pennsylvania. Speaking in tongues is Fogelsville. It is indeed inside Pennsylvania, but it's actually small compared to a lot of other things that God wants to do. The main reason why Jesus baptizes us in the Spirit is not to speak in tongues. It's to empower us for ministry. Speaking in tongues is the sign. Like when we, GPS brought us through uh, the other exit on the, east, on the west side of 78, and we came up winding up through... Hill and Dale and a couple dirt roads and uh, covered bridge and some other stuff like that. But, but we made it here. I forgot about the real easy way to come up here, which we'll leave tonight in that way. But, um, but coming up that way, we hit the Fogelsville little sign, right? You've seen it? So it's, I got to tell you, it's rather modest, okay? It's not like Viva Las Vegas, you know, whatever. Um, but that sign, can you imagine if we pulled over? Oh, honey, look at Fogelsville. Let's get a picture in front of Fogelsville. Oh, wow, okay, let's go now. We've been there. The sign is merely the outermost demarcation that you enter something. That's the same way. Speaking in tongues is just the sign, the indicator to you that this new level of power has indeed come for you so you can go try it out. But spirit baptism, I mean, speaking in tongues is just crossing the threshold of this experience. There's so much more. Another metaphor we've used for years, I think it's actually in the Kid Power book, is the receipt. 
you ever gone and bought like a TV or something uh, at Walmart or Best Buy or something? How many have a TV? <laughs> wow, it is more green acres than I thought. Okay, so, um, but uh, can you imagine on the way out, have you ever noticed there's always like a grandma armed with a highlighter marker at the door of Walmart to check your purchase? And I'm going to tell you, she could probably take you down. You know, look out for grandma, right? But she wants to look at your receipt and make sure it's the same product because it's asset management, you know, for them. It's just a whatever. But can you imagine at the door as she's giving you the cryptic fluorescent squiggle that means this person's not a crook um, on there, um, that, that you go, wait a minute. Now, that TV's mine, right? And you, she goes, well, yeah, you, you bought it. Here's the legal proof of the receipt. You go, thank you. I'll be back for it later, maybe. And you take that receipt. You go home and you tape it on the wall where you're going to hang the TV. You sit there on your couch, put your arm around your wife, and go, man, that's the best picture I've ever. Look at that TV. No, it's just the proof. But that's what a lot of people do with spirit baptism. They pursue Jesus until they experience the phenomena, the confirming sign, get the proof, the receipt of speaking in tongues. But they never bring the TV home with them. They never go, oh, okay, I'm really going to do something with this. And I'm going to be honest with you. It would have been better for you to not have been baptized in the Spirit than to be baptized in the Spirit and only do personal beneficial things for you. Because Jesus doesn't baptize you in the Spirit for you. He baptizes you in the Holy Spirit for other people. He doesn't baptize. Like I hear people do, please expunge this terminology from your mouth if you use it, because you probably don't mean it this way. But I hear people turning this big outward empowerment into this personal badge of honor. Well, back in 78, I got my personal prayer language. Ha you know, whatever, and it's like a ranger badge or something. It's the one with the, like, looks like the Rolling Stones logo with a, a tongue out on it, you know. And, uh, but it's not that way at all. He baptizes you in the Spirit for much more than speaking in tongues, and yet speaking in tongues does serve a role. Let's look at that role real quick before we go to prayer. Okay, now the next slide shows two verses on it here. The top verse is the most detailed verse we have in the Bible of what happens, the interactions, it's rich with interactions with God of when you're being baptized in the Spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And Luke uses that term, filled with any encounter with the Spirit. But earlier, he made it very clear this outward coming upon of the Spirit was taking place. And began, who began to speak? All of them, yeah. All of the people. It's important to note the Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. People go, well, if Jesus didn't speak in tongues, I don't have to either, even though he commanded you to, right? But I don't have to. It's kind of like, leave me alone, whatever. But, and, and to which you can just go, you know. Um, no, don't do that. That's really bad. But um, it's just, it's, the people go, well, you know, I don't have. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. Jesus had no unlearned language. How could he speak in tongues? But he commanded us to do so. They were all filled and began to speak. Who began to speak? They began to speak. They initiated the uh, speech. The miracle wasn't that they were talking. It was their voices. It was their diaphragm squishing. It was their mouth forming. The miracle isn't that they were speaking. The miracle was what they were speaking. How many know when you begin to speak in tongues, if someone else's voice comes out, you've got a different problem, right? That's when we get the deacons around you with the garlic necklaces and the WD-40, right? Okay? No, that won't happen. But um, they began to speak with other tongues. So let's just look real quick. You don't care about the Greek. Although, anybody of Greek origin here? I asked that last night. There wasn't any? Okay. All right. Anyway. Um, 
Let me just say, the most important Greek word you need to know to be a Christian is baklava. How many know that word? Okay, if you don't know that word, you need to. All right. But it's just interesting because sometimes, and again, you don't have to understand Greek to understand the Bible. We have great modern translations, but sometimes there's just a few nuggets that help us. So they began to speak with other. That word other is a little more technical than just other. It's another of a different kind or order. It's the Greek word heteros. So in Koine Greek, there's two words for other or another. There's allos, another of the same kind. John 14, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you allos parakletos, another one just like me, comforter, the Holy Spirit. He's going to pick up where I left off. Same ministry taking place, right? That's not this word. It's heteros, another of a totally different kind. Tongues is glossa, language. So a lot of people think it's like tongue, like the, the worship leader, um, Gene Simmons, but it's not. It's language. You're, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak. You will begin to speak. It will be your choice to partner your mm, with the Holy Spirit. As or They began to speak with other tongues, another of a different kind. It will be a language you've never learned before, another of a different kind language. It's not like, oh, yeah, one time I went on that missions trip to Guatemala, and I remember glory adios, so I'm going to say that. Or people try to, you know, do hallelujah or whatever. Well, that's not tongues. You know what that means. And if you don't know what it means, it means praise the Lord. So now you know. Um, so it's, it's not like that. It's not like it's a different language than you've ever learned before as the Holy Spirit was giving them the utterance. Another amazing word here in the original Greek is the word utterance. How many use the word utterance like every day in your everyday language? The only way you'd ever use it is if, like if you were a dairy farmer that couldn't spell, right? Okay? So that's, that's, not, that's not... So this word is... Paul is the most technical New Testament writer. Luke would be the second most technical, who actually a lot of people don't know, but Luke wrote more of the New Testament than Paul did. The fact that the writings of Luke and Acts together have a much larger word count than the writings of Paul. The fact that it gets misunderstood is Paul wrote more individual books than Luke, 13 of them. But Luke's writings far exceed Paul's. Not that it's any more important, but Paul was the most technical. He writes words um, that if from Greek to English still get translated as propitiation, Right? Highly tech, but Luke would be the second most educated being a physician, and he uses a few, he pulls a few out too, and one of them is this word utterance. He is the only writer in the Bible that uses that word. It's the Greek word apothengamai. So can you think of another Bible word that starts with the letter A-P-O? Apostle, right? Okay, so that is a personification noun of the Greek verb apo, which means to send, uh, apostello, the word apostle, is a sent person, sent to break new territory, is missionary, and then often the second phase of, that defines an apostle is because they've been faithful and they raised up ministry, then they're considered a leader by the people they've raised up. So you see that kind of a thing, kind of cool. But apo to send, and then the root word thingomai is data. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in a language they had never learned, another of a different kind of language, as the Holy Spirit was giving them the data he was sending them. The Holy Spirit sending. The miracle is not that you're speaking. The miracle is what you're speaking. So they began to speak in a language they never learned when they were having a private prayer meeting. But 10 verses later is the bottom scripture, Acts 2.14. Now, if you were reading this in the Koine Greek, this would really jump out to you. It would be like, 
Um, if I used as a metaphor, like, I don't know, uh, an exotic word like spumoni. How many know what spumoni is? My favorite ice cream, right? So it's, yeah, you know, don't you? So it's chocolate, pistachio, and then old world. A lot of people try to like cheat and put just cherry ice cream in the spumoni. It's old world. It's got a little nut and a little kind of, it's so good. I'm trying, how many have had spumoni? I hope you raise your hand, brother. Okay, so. It's my very favorite. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just trust me, all right? But if I would use that word and go, you know, most people like vanilla or chocolate, but I like spumoni, you would right away, it would register with you, oh, that's an unusual thing and maybe not as whatever. And then later on, if I would say, and just like, you know, I make a metaphor of it, just like, you know, each one of us has little different things. We all have a, a little spumoni in our life in some way or another. We all have different interests or whatever. You go, oh, okay, I know what I'm saying. You're saying, this is what, Luke does with oppo thing of my utterance. They're alone in a private prayer meeting. They're praying. The Holy Spirit falls upon them, and he begins to send them the data. They identify it. They cooperate with it, begin to speak the words he's sending. But now when the crowd gathers around, Peter takes a stand with the 11 others, and he speaks to the crowd, which is kind of cool. It's kind of obvious because, you know, Peter can't acknowledge his faith to a servant girl around a campfire, and now he's a spokesman for God after being baptized in the Spirit. I mean, it's an obvious, cool thing. But he raises his voice, and he preaches to the crowd. Do you remember? Does he preach to the crowd in tongues? No, he preaches to them in Aramaic, the, the known common language of the day. But Luke throws in this word. Peter taking a stand with the 11, raised his voice, and it gets translated as declared in most English versions. But it's apothengamai. He spoke the words being sent to him, which is pretty obvious when you read it, because if he was talking out of his own being, it would be, I don't know no Jesus, right, you know? But check it out. Look at this next one. This is what Luke's trying to get us to see in this passage. If you can trust God to guide you to speak in the unknown tongue, how much more can you trust him to guide your known language to minister to other people? When you're praying, that speaking in tongues part, people misunderstood, it's deeply personal, it's deeply vulnerable, deeply spiritual. You're praying until you sense God's presence, and then when you're sensing his presence, you're finding what he wants you to say, and then you're weighing it with what the word of God is and how you know God's presence, and you're speaking what he's... It's very vulnerable, isn't it? Then he's giving you the confidence. Hey, when you're around people that need to know Jesus, I'm going to give... You now understand where to look because where the prompting of the Spirit comes isn't from your brain, it's from the prompting of the Spirit inside. Where does the Holy Spirit move inside? When you sense His presence, when you sense His leading, His guidance, where has it always been? It's been somewhere inside here, right? People, somewhere in your thorax for the medical people here, and so or the bugologists. But it's somewhere inside. And the same way, check this out. Look at this next one here. We've got two more and we're done. So this is the utterance process. This is when you're praying. This is how to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Number one, you got to get as close to Jesus as you can because only he can baptize you. And that's typically done through prayer. Yeah, we can sing songs, but songs only take us so far in being vulnerable to the Lord because we're using someone else's lyrics. But a step beyond that is you beginning to pray. And most people feel like really clunky and awkward when you pray. And just so you know, I've been praying for years and that's just kind of the way it is. You know, uh, people are all afraid you're going to pray the wrong thing. If you're praying to Jesus, it's all good. No prayer is bad prayer. Prayer to Jesus, good prayer, real easy. But you begin to pray, and you feel awkward and clunky and self-aware. But how many of you have found if you just push yourself a little bit in prayer and keep on going, it really gets easy and wonderful? 
And a lot of times that happens almost every time you pray. If you only prayed when you really felt just drawn into God's presence, you would pray very little in your Christian life, right? So you begin to pray and draw near to Jesus. You got to do that. Someone else can be praying for you, but you got to pray. Number two, Jesus will respond by pouring out the Holy Spirit upon you. You will sense the Holy Spirit falling upon you. That is because Jesus is responding to your seeking and prayer and pouring out the Holy Spirit upon you. See, you do step one, he does step two, but then step number three, when he's falling upon you, you've got to find the utterance. Now, for some people, they are so wide open and vulnerable, this just happens like poof, like that. And these three stages are, are just like seamless and quick and lightning strikes and they're speaking in tongues and levitating, it's awesome. But for most people, there's some time elapsed in this because like flying a kite, you're letting a little string out at a time as you feel more and more comfortable. And that's okay too. Praise God. I always get jealous when people just get baptized in the spirit really quick. I was a tough nut to crack. It took me a while. I got to just soak it off of me, soak my barnacles off before, you know, and that's all right too. Um, but pay attention. This will happen. So the number one mistake that I find, a mistake's not the right word, but the one, number one thing that maybe protracts a seeking experience is knowing where to look. You go to Lowe's, you go to Home Depot to buy an electrical outlet. You ever done that? Maybe. And if you go in the electrical outlet aisle, you will find that eye level, they have electrical outlets, Leviton or whatever, in beautiful boxes, four-color printed with a cellophane window, $4.99 a piece. But if you know where to look down at your shoes, those same outlets are loose in a box for 89 cents. It pays to know where to look. So when stage number two happens, if you don't know where to look, you will just keep on going, oh, I love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You'll feel God's presence, but you won't find it. So you pray like the house is on fire until stage two when you sense the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Shh, stop praying out loud and start listening. Where have you sensed God's presence? Where have you sensed his moving? Where has he led and nudged and guided you? In the inner being, if you keep on talking out of your intelligence, then you're exercising, giving all of your attention to what you're thinking and not what the Holy Spirit is prompting, right? And so a lot of times a long-term seeker, the moment you pray until the Holy Spirit comes upon, then you go, okay, now shh, just listen inside. And they go, oh, and they just begin to speak in tongues because they see it now. They know where to look. So that's when you're baptized in the Spirit. Now, I was baptized in the Spirit August 19, 1983. The next day, I went to a 7-Eleven to buy some candy. I rode my bike down there because you could do it then, back in those days. And, uh, and I, when I went in the aisle, the candy aisle, to buy my bubble gum, there was a, an upset lady there. She was old, too. She was like 30. And she was there in the... In the and so I just kind of backed off. I was raised with older sisters and know how to kind of learn how to avoid the drama. I was just waiting for her to step aside. And when I went around the corner, the end cap by the Tasty Cakes, all of a sudden, I kind of became aware of God's presence. It's like weird. I go quietly, and nobody's around. She's around the corner. I go, God, why do I feel your presence in the 7-Eleven? That's kind of weird, you know? But I'd only been baptized in the Holy Spirit for like 14, 18 hours at that point. So I thought, well, maybe this is what it's like. Wow. And the more I began to just quietly pray while I was waiting on her, to, it, this all happened like 30 seconds, um, I found that God often breadcrumbs your prayers he leads you as you pray. It's kind of a cool thing if you pay attention. And I'm like, well, God, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe I feel you here because you want me to do something or talk to someone. Do you want me to talk to her? And when I, he kind of breadcrumbed me to that spot, that realization, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit stood up inside of me. It's like, ah. Oh. 
And all of a sudden, when I quieted down and listened, the same place the night before where the funny-sounding words from the Holy Spirit were found, that same shelf, not my, hmm, what should I say to her? That's all brain process. A lot of people misunderstand. They go to that first, but you go to the Holy Spirit shelf, which is much more humble in our view than my lofty thoughts. And all of a sudden, in that shelf came the simple sentence, I wasn't thinking it, are you okay? Because if I would speak out of my brain, it would be, um, excuse me, I need some gum, right? I mean, because really, that's what I was there for. I'm just being serious. And so I had just enough courage, like the night before, he didn't make me speak in tongues, but he gave me just enough courage if I would apply myself to try. He gave me just enough courage. And I said that to her, and she was kind of mean, like, leave me alone. I was like, whoa. I went back around the corner, and I was like, Jesus, that didn't go so well. Did I get it wrong? And I'm praying silently, you know, kind of covered mouth, kind of whispery, silent prayer. And, and I felt the Lord just kind of, again, bread coming my prayer. I didn't get it right. Lord, do you want me to fix it or do something? Or maybe you want me to say something else to her? And when I kind of came to that spot, God's like, mm. same shelf was another sentence. And I had just enough courage, even though she had shut me down. I peeked my head around the corner and I said the second sentence. And she responded much nicer. And when she's responding, up came the next thing and then the next response. And within three minutes, I was praying with her to receive Christ in the candy aisle. And then over the next 60 days, I led 27 people to the Lord as a 12-year-old kid. Not because I'm some great evangelist, because I'm really not, but because spirit baptism is all about learning the moving of the spirit and where to look and what he's prompting you to do to make us prophetic people that can say what God wants us to say. So look at this next one. This is the last one. This is an everyday ministry. Okay, verbal ministry. That's the 7-Eleven. You notice it's exactly the same process. You see what's happening? If you pay attention when you're being baptized in the Spirit, Jesus is mentoring you in how to flow in the Spirit afterwards. So we're not looking to come up and have somebody whack us on the head and, you know, whatever. We're looking to interact with God in this. He wants to teach you His ways. Your brain's going to be going, when you begin to pray in tongues, your brain's going, I don't like that. That sounds stupid. But your spirit inside is going to be going, woohoo! I mean, it's a normal conflict for people to feel that. Not a bad conflict, but it's like your brain's going, excuse me, that's my mouth. And I've done everything I can my whole life to protect myself from doing something risky that looks stupid. And I think you're doing that now because you're not using your intelligence to weigh it. You're using the Bible and the presence of the Spirit to judge it. So I want you to stand up with me. Stand up real tall. Raise your hands up real high. Stretch them out. Okay. Then reach down low between your legs, reach back, grab your hair, pull forward violently and do a front flip. You got it? Okay, all right. Now, we're going to go to prayer. This won't take very long. You're certainly welcome to pray as long as you want because that's why this church is here. And brother, would you mind hitting that music we've got back there on the... Um, and so as, as we begin to pray, um, I'm just going to... No one's going to manipulate you. No, you. We don't believe in any of that. We just want the real thing from the Lord. And it's going to take... Just a little bit of time, a few minutes. You've got like 10, 15 minutes to pray? I hope so. If you've never yet been baptized in the Spirit, or maybe you go, I'm not sure, or tonight Jesus wants to do this work in your life. If you have been baptized in the Spirit already, then guess what? God wants to update this anointing in your life. We get that from Acts chapter 4, where the same group came back and said, Lord, do it again. We need an oil change. And the Bible says God did it again in their life and even amplified the voltage, greater boldness than they had before. 
So we're going to pray. And here's all I'm going to ask. It's just us. All the mean, judgmental people stayed home, right? It's just us here. God's favorites. Those online, you can receive right now in your home. Shut your door. Get alone with God and just kind of follow this pathway. And it's simply this. Number one, we're going to get as close to Jesus as we can. And it's going to require you to take a little more steps of outward calling on the Lord than you have up to this point. You have what you have from the Lord because of as far as you've gone, as far as you pressed in. I'm not asking you to get crazy and do cartwheels and scream or whatever, but I am asking if you're a one-hander, hand lifter, try two tonight. You're normally a silent prayer. Oh, if you're praying silent tonight, I pray your car doesn't even start, all right? Even lift your voice even to a whisper. We got, we've chosen to put some instrumental music on simply to have like a background so shy people can pray out loud and not feel conspicuous, all right? It's just, it's, it, this is what it is. So um, in, in a moment, I'm gonna ask anyone that wants to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time, or maybe you've had a question about it, to come and, and stand across the front here, all right? And you go, oh, I don't wanna go up there in front of God and everybody. Well, you got this far in church. You came for the service for this reason. Don't stay in your seat for that, okay? So, and then we're gonna have a bunch of prayer partners come. We're gonna be real cautious. If, if you're like, I'm really concerned about health and I wanna stay masked up in my seat and you want someone to come and pray for you in a moment, I'll have you raise your hand and we'll send someone to come back and they'll stay a chair away and pray for you. Totally cool, no big deal. If you're watching online, you can interact with the pastors online and they'll pray with you and right where you're at, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It is very likely that right now you feel nothing of the power and spirit of God, but you feel a lot of intense, oh, I really want that. Would you respond now? If you want to be baptized in the Spirit, would you just get out of your seat and come on up front here? we got a lot of area up front. Just come right now. Come on. Don't wait on anybody. Just come right on up. Step right on up. And the moment you get here, would you just begin to start praying and calling on the Lord? Okay, if we run out of room, that's no big deal. we got lots of space. That's awesome. Just come. And, and the moment you get here, you're probably not going to feel the warmth of God's presence. Maybe. I don't know. But you're hungry. So come on, come on, come on. All right? Now, when we get here, let's just begin to call on him. You're welcome to stand or sit or kneel. Uh, and we're just going to call on him. Yeah, you guys can shove some chairs back. That'd be great to give us some more room. Come on. Now, prayer partners, would you come and just kind of begin to mingle around? And, and, and uh, we're just going to start praying. Come on, everybody. Not a silent prayer in this room. Even if it's whispers, that's all right. But I want you to use your voice. The reason why is when the language of the Spirit comes, it's much easier to go from English or Spanish into tongues than it is from silence into tongues. So overcome that, that uh, fear and vulnerability. Let's just begin to call on the Lord. Come on, Jesus, I love you. I need you so much. I just need you, Jesus. I need you more than anything. I'm so hungry for your presence. Yeah. Oh, I love you, Lord, with all of my heart. I just want to please you. I want to fulfill your will. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Yeah. Some of you, from the moment you begin to call on the Lord, you've already sensed his divine presence falling upon you. It's the same Holy Spirit you sense when you really feel God's presence in worship. It's not going to be somebody else. And the moment you sense him falling upon you, he's already started that work. You're not looking for a level of voltage just when he falls upon you. That's awesome. But we're not in any hurry. Soak and, and experience his presence. But we have, I think, 22 up here to receive spirit baptism for the first time. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
All right, now come on, let's just turn it up. One or two decibels, lift your hands an inch higher. If you haven't lifted a hand, I encourage you. Sometimes reaching up to God like that really helps us to become vulnerable to Him. Yeah? I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Yeah. Now, when you're ready, would you invite Him? Jesus, would you please baptize me in your Holy Spirit? Just ask Him. Just ask Him. Then when he falls upon you, stop speaking out loud and start listening inside. It's already happening for many. It's already happening. Three, four, five of you already. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Lord. Your brain will not like the prompting. It thinks it's silly, but you just begin to speak. You know what the word says, and you have God's presence on you. Now take that step of faith. Those promptings weren't there when you had dinner tonight. They came only when you prayed and said, Jesus, baptize me in your Holy Spirit. There it is. That's it. That's it. Let it flow. What a beautiful thing. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.